Hi, this is Renee Fleming, and you're listening to the CBH Podcast. Yes. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, okay. Is that it? Okay. Uh, Thursday, July 30th. Good morning. Um, yeah. The, the French don't believe in air conditioning. I read a stat. I don't know if it's true. You, you can't trust stats. Nobody's going to trust a stat anymore. It's all bullshit. But this is the stat I read, and I'll just, I'll just believe it's true for the purposes of this moment. 5% of French households have air conditioning. And in the United States, 95% of households have air conditioning. No, I don't know. That sounds a little extreme. Uh, you'll be hard-pressed to find air conditioning in France. It does exist, uh, but it's really people who are catering to American tourists. I do not understand how the people haven't uh, caught on to this. I don't get it. Why must you stew in your natural juices? (laughs) Because there are some days where you just sit and sweat. You're doing nothing. You're laying in bed and the sweat is pouring off your forehead. It doesn't make sense. (laughs) Why why would you choose to live like this when, when, when the fix is right there? Look, they have washing machines. They have dishwashers. They, they partook of the refrigerator, right? Heating. They're down with that. They like electricity. How come? How can we? <laughs> they like all this stuff, but when it comes to the AC, they're like, "Nope, not going to do it. Can't do it. Hate it." <laughs> I don't want to be some pampered American. I really don't. It bothers me that I can't adapt. Um, and and I mean, I have adapted. I've been here for uh, almost three weeks, and and um, you know, we're sweating it out. <laughs> I just don't understand how you wouldn't want to, you don't have to go overboard. Look, in America, we do everything too far, right? We, we correct, we overcorrect way too far. And so, uh, you know, the, the air conditioning in the States, you know, if it's 85 degrees outside, we'll make it 62 inside. You know, but you don't have to do that. You can just go, just go to comfortable, just go to 70. Just put it to comfortable. It doesn't have to be overkill. You don't have to think that, no, oh, if we have air conditioning in Europe, it's going to be like it is in the States where everything is just freezing all the time. And, and it doesn't need to be that way. You can just adjust to a good temperature. You don't have to overdo it. And I don't, I, I don't think it's a cost. I mean, maybe. Perhaps for some it's a cost. But uh, on a whole, why the hell wouldn't you put in a couple of window units at the least? Let's try. <laughs> Because uh, unless you have some kind of crosswind, um, it's rough. It's rough. And I remember experiencing this in Germany, too. And, and Germany never got that hot, but there were, there were some pretty warm nights. Or or my time in Salzburg where you're, you're, you're sweating through the evening, you know, in mid-August. It's, uh, it's not fun. And I have friends in Italy and, and Spain who are suffering. <laughs> it is hot. Uh, it's, it's been, uh, it's been funny. Maybe as, maybe as global warming picks up, uh, they'll get into this a little bit more. Maybe, maybe it's the time to, if I, if I'm, if I'm giving you money advice, <laughs> it's the, it's the, um, it's the Italian and Spanish, uh, air conditioning companies that you should be looking at right now because, because I'm not sure how many more summers they're going to endure before people realize, Hey, 
we got to do something about this. We're cooking. Come on, people. I can remember in Munich, you know, because there was no air conditioning even at the Opera House. And so we'd be doing the festival in July. And we'd be putting on three, four heavy wool layers and a wig or worse, a bald cap. And they would have to like vent the bald cap uh, at the back of your neck so that the sweat had somewhere to go. I'm being dead serious. It's disgusting. But it's the truth. They would vent the back of the bald cap so that sweat could be released. <laughs> Otherwise, it was a real disaster when that thing had to come off. And, and we would be putting on, you know, just wool suits and then some kind of wool overcoat. There was plenty of... I, I did a Don Carlo where I was a... Uh, I was the monk, but the monk was dressed up like the old... Um, super old ghost at one point and so i had this cape that i had to reveal i had to um, you know come out of in a in a in a theater trick at the end of the show and i was wearing this oh this heavy wool cloak and hood and just just dying just dying on the inside i was a little younger i could handle it i think now i just have heat stroke and die on the stage which deep down I want, you know, really, really. We all want to die with our shoes on, right? Like, isn't that, isn't that the idea? Oh, the Larry episode blew up. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. Uh, uh, Larry Brownlee is one of my favorites, and it should be no surprise that uh, this is also popular. He's, he's um, you know, regardless, he doesn't like me uh, blowing smoke up his ass, but he is truly one of the greatest. But beyond that, Larry's a gentleman and a good man. Uh, he's, he's a, he's a dad and a husband and, and those things are very, very important to him. And I, and I can, and I get that sense from him and then just watching him, uh, be around my own son. We went to dinner and, and went for ice cream and things. And, and, um, he has a way with kids. It's really very, very special, uh, uh, a patience and, a and, um, um, boy, it's nice to be around other parents sometimes where you just, you know, the kids having a moment, kids have moments for all sorts of reasons and, 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 and you can't predict them. They're unpredictable. And, and, uh, Larry just, boy, he just rolled with the punches. No problem. As if it was his own, you know, just with all the love and care and patience of a, of a, of a seasoned dad. And I loved him more after that. I, I realized, boy, this is, this is really a special human. And it's not just because he's one of the most badass singers to open his mouth. Uh, I mean, I say that without hesitation. Larry is truly the goat when it comes to that repertoire. And, uh, uh, you know, to pack on top of that, that he's a, a, a wonderful, warm human and man. Uh, I, I, I admire him on a much different level. I, I want to be Larry when I grow up. <laughs> I say that a lot. It always comes down to tenors, too. I don't get it. I don't really want to be a tenor. I just want to be the kind of person they are. <laughs> and they have egos like everybody else. But, you know, you, you heard the you heard the podcast, Larry, and I talked about it a lot. And, you know, he, like me, is, can be driven by, by anger and, um, you know, doesn't necessarily see that as a bad thing. Um, you know, I'm, I'm uh, dealing with a little bit of that again the last couple of days where all of a sudden, oh, all of a sudden something hits me the wrong way and I go, why is that bugging me? Shit. <laughs> Uh, I don't think there's a problem with that. I don't think there's um, uh, there's no there's no reason that who cares where your motivation comes from, right? If if it gets you to the gym, then then it was good, right? Plenty of things. There's plenty of things that bug me. I I know I ask too much of the people around me. I know that I expect too much, and and um, it's easy for me to get frustrated, and and it's it's it often just ends up being frustration to myself for not understanding. Not not everybody is like you, and that's a that's a that can also also be a selfish thing to say. But 
uh, or not people don't necessarily care about something the way you care about it and that's okay uh, it's uh um we all got our own thing going on right <sighs> i gotta tell you a relief um and i thought about this because we, we were on a train yesterday and we saw like on the platform there were these painted on circles of like social distancing like okay you stand on this circle and then this this would be the next appropriate circle to stand on and uh, you know, keeping people spaced in this way. And I thought, because France is well over this, I have not worn a mask even one time in the last three weeks. Not once. Not on a train, not in a restaurant, not in a theater, not in a rehearsal, not anywhere, nowhere have I worn a mask yet. And uh, there are some people who are. There are some clearly some tourists who are. Um, you know, if you're not feeling well, I certainly appreciate you putting it on. And if you feel paranoid, go ahead and put it on. But I have not. I have not felt poorly and I have not felt paranoid. And, and so for three weeks, there's been no mask. And I'm looking at these circles on the, on the train platform and I thought there's going to be this historic relic, this marker of this time period. Um, there's the signs about, about social distancing and the markers on the ground and the arrows and the the spacing and the things that we suddenly all adapted to very, very quickly. Uh, as they go away, the the physical relic of it is still there. There's going to be this historic marker of this time. And I thought that was interesting. I thought, I thought it'll be, you'll see it, you'll see them in an antique shop someday. And I came over here with a, with a hundred masks, literally a package of a hundred. You know, I've been, I've been, you know, especially in New York at the Met where you needed a, a mask every day, you go through two or three of them a day. And so I, I'd buy these packs of a hundred, uh, black masks and, and, uh, just leave a ton of them in my bag. And every jacket had two or three of them in there. And the, the back, the back pocket of my jeans always had some, they were everywhere. And, uh, you know, I brought this pack here and I haven't touched it. And I, and I pulled a book out of my bag and I dragged a mask with it. And I thought, I don't need this. Uh, at least I don't need it right now. Who knows about tomorrow, but, um, you know these these things. We're going to find these in jackets. We're going to find them in suitcases. We're going to we're going to find uh, these relics on the train platform of a different time, and we may have to explain it to to young people who weren't here at the time and say, "Oh, that's back when uh, the coronavirus was spread across the earth." <laughs> that's such a funny thing now when when we're looking back at it, and I guess we're I guess we're looking back, but I I, I mean I. <sighs> I got to say, I've seen some pictures from Santa Fe, uh, the Santa Fe Opera, and, and um, you know, most of their rehearsal happens outside. That theater is open air. It does have a roof. It has a roof to, to protect from rain, but it's open air. It's open on either side of the theater. The stage is open in the back. I mean, you feel like you're outside. There's almost no point uh, in the Santa Fe Opera where you feel like you're indoor. There's one indoor rehearsal space that I can remember. And there, and there's like um, you know the clubhouse where all the administrative buildings are. That's technically inside, but everything everything you do there is outside, mostly rehearsing outside, performing outside. And I see uh, I see pictures, and I just see people you know distancing and and putting the masks on. And I and I don't know if it's because it's a summer festival and they haven't been open for a year, and so they're they're hitting the protocols hard. You know, like let's stick with these protocols hard. And and they do have a great cover system in place with the young artists. You know, it's not like they don't have singers ready to go if they need to have them go, uh, need them go on. But it's it's a real uh, dichotomy to to witness uh, the Paris Opera, which is uh, an enormous enormous company. Uh, enormous company putting on 
between the ballet, which is way more popular than the opera here, uh, and, and all of the opera performances, the, the building is packed with people, a huge crew, two or even three different orchestras, um, you know, a gigantic chorus, a gigantic ballet corps, and we're not wearing masks, we're not, we're not distancing, it doesn't, there's no sign on the elevator that says no more than four people, you know, all of that is gone, it's gone. We're not testing. We're not doing any of that. And I just, I, 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 I have such a hard time with why is it one way here and the other way over here. Now, look, I prefer this way. And I respect that somebody needs to uh, be more cautious another way. You know, it's not, it, either one I'm willing to deal with. I just, as a, as a human observing both at the same time, I don't understand how um, one could be so cautious and one so completely <laughs> over it. I prefer over it. Now, that's because I already had my, my bout uh, three months ago, and I still kind of feel safe, although maybe I, I'm sure I could pick it up again. I'm sure at three months I could pick it up again, but uh, I know plenty of people that have gone through COVID two or three times now, and I don't know. <laughs> I, you know, people talk about long COVID. I'm, I'm sure it's a thing, but, you know, <laughs> ask anybody. You could put the idea in somebody's head that, you know, that they still don't feel well two months later, and they'd be like, yeah, I don't feel well, you know, like. <laughs> there's plenty of reasons at my age why I could think I could blame COVID because my ankle has hurt for the last three months. Or <laughs> you know, food doesn't taste the way it used to. But I, I don't know. I, I really don't know the studies of long COVID. Surely there's somebody who can speak to that smarter than me. Uh, but, you know, was, my experience was two days of a flu and three days of a head cold, and it was over. Uh, that was uh, that was my experience. I know everybody's got a different, a different uh, ride. And so, uh, you know, most of the people that I hear go through it now, if it's their first time, they make a big deal about it because they're nervous. You know, they, they're nervous. They finally caught this thing. But uh, anybody who's gone through it once and get it again, they barely even speak about it. They're, they're more annoyed that they can't uh, go into work or, or have to stay home or whatever it is. But, you know, the people who are getting it the first time are using words like quarantine and isolation. You know, the... <laughs> Um, you know, and the people that have gone through it two and three times don't, don't use those words anymore. Uh, they're just like, all right, see you in a couple days, you know, <laughs> we've trained everybody that they need to play a part. They need to play their part. So if they're having it for the first time, they're, they're, they're going to, um, go through it. But you know, it's been two years now, so <laughs> we're kind of over, uh, you know, the announcement of COVID We're <laughs> We're kind of over feeling, I feel sorry for anybody who doesn't feel well, but, but, um, you know, that word just doesn't land the way it used to. <laughs> so in a way, the people that are going through it for the first time are not really getting their, <laughs> their celebration. <laughs> I know that's what's happening. It's such a ridiculous thing where humans are so stupid. <laughs> like, Hey, wait a second. It's my turn to get this. Look at me. <laughs> But it's not when the whole damn world went through it, you know, <laughs> multiple times. I have singer friends have had it three, four times at this point. They're just like, oh, all right, see you in a few days. <laughs> it's just here to stay, guys. We're going to have to go through it. We have thinned the herd. And, uh, you know, just like, just like explained to my son recently, anybody here on earth was effectively the strongest swimmer, Right. If uh, if at the if at the day uh, of uh, conception, uh, you know, 
and 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 uh, nine months went by, and you were here. You are effectively the strongest swimmer, and uh, and so it's a world full of people who won that race that day. <laughs> Try explaining this to an eight year old. It's really fun. It's actually really fun. What swimmer? What do you mean? You know, you're trying to dance around uh, details and and. Uh... <laughs> But anyway, um, yeah, it's a world full of strongest swimmers, and and within that group, we have stronger swimmers, and 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 um, you know this great um, this great uh, pandemic that hit the world, and I say great in in the fact that it was huge and large, not great as in good, just great as an awesomely big. Um, uh, we thinned the herd, and now uh, I I can't help but to think. That the people that survived again, once again, are the strongest swimmers, and on and on we go. We can't forget, um, even though we have eradicated so many ways for for a human to leave the earth, and we've and we've found all these new ways for humans to to go on and be aided by um, medicine and and longevity ideas. Uh, you know, the human body was not meant, you know, from a from a evolutionary standpoint, to go past forty years. It's really where we were. Uh, meant to finish up, wrap up our time, and so anything that hurts after forty, just it's because your body has worn out. It has it has done what it was supposed to do. And look, we got people who are who are bodybuilders until their nineties. We got people who die in their teens. You know, they, they, we we certainly have all the all the um, specific um, um, uh, delineations of people who have who have gone outside the norm. But for the most part, you know. Person kind of hits the wall at 40, 50 years old, and it's all sort of physically downhill from there, and brain downhill from there, and and so uh, uh, you know this this great pandemic thinned the herd a bit, and we're and we're we're left with the with the strongest. It's just the way it is. It's just it's reality. Congratulations! If you're listening, you're still here. <laughs> you continue to be one of the strongest swimmers. <laughs> Oh, I'm so over this shit. We opened a show the other night. Uh, very good. Best by best, uh, my best personal best uh, ovation from a French audience. Um, and I have to, I have to thank uh, Tobias Kratzer for our for our um, our production because it, I'm I'm set up for success. Um, you know, I'm the devil, and you should root against me. But at the same time, he's charming, um, and and um, I'm I'm set up for a for a personal victory and it's going well. And the, and the French audience letting me hear it was uh, something because normally they're, <laughs> they're kind of lukewarm to me. <laughs> but uh, opening night went really good and Angel Blue had an incredible uh, French debut or Paris Paris debut, I guess. And um, um, they went nuts for her. We got a great show and, and, and was nearly sold out opening and I'm sure word of mouth will will uh, will take the rest of those seats and, and uh, sell them quickly. You know, it only took me five productions, but I've been uh, finally accepted here in Paris. <laughs> I don't know accepted, but certainly certainly accepted in in, uh, in this role. Anyway, to all you strongest swimmers out there, have a great weekend. I love you for listening. Uh, episode, who gives a shit? Everybody, we'll see you on Monday. All right, thanks. Bye.